Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to Acts chapter number 26? Acts chapter number 26. I'm glad that you're here. In this passage, we see an old man. Life has not been easy. Life's been hard. And you see this man walk into this great room. And in this room is surrounded by dignitaries, royalty, and at that time what would be called celebrities. They had come to see the man that had caused such an uproar. Who is this man? I mean, they had heard about this man called Paul. Because Paul was up and coming back in the day. Paul was supposed to be a leader of the leaders. I mean, he had the right pedigree. He had the right training. He had everything to be the next great leader in Israel. But something had happened to him. You see, Paul wanted to stamp out Christianity. Paul wanted to get rid of anybody who followed what in that time was called people of the way what we would call Christians. And Paul did his job really well. So well that they would send him to other cities and towns to stamp out Christianity. He would put people in jail. He would put people in, 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 in situations where he would force them to renounce their faith. And sometimes he would have some of them executed. But that was years ago. And here now stands Paul bent over. Life has not been easy. He had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had traveled all over the known world. And here stands Paul with chains on his wrists, hunched over in this great hall with King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus. And Paul, in this moment, many of us would see that this looks like a low point in Paul's life. Like, what are you doing here, Paul? You were supposed to be this great apostle, and yet here you find yourself in chains. But the passage tells us that Paul says, I'm happy that I'm here. I'm happy that I get to tell King Agrippa about Jesus the person that he loved the most, the person that, that's why Paul's back is scarred up from being beaten. That's why he carries the marks from the stoning. Because it was all for Jesus. And here we see Paul in this room, and he's going to give a defense of his faith. He's going to tell them about Jesus. So to tell the story the right way, he takes him back to the beginning. About how Paul was on a road to Damascus. And at the time, his name was not Paul, but it was Saul. Because Paul means basically small. But the name Saul meant big shot. And that's what he thought he was. It's big shot. But on the road to Damascus, the scripture tells us that at midday where the sun is highest, a bright light shone from heaven. You see, it took a light brighter than the sun to open the eyes of Saul. But out of the light, 
a voice spoke. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, all this time, Saul had thought, God, I'm doing you a favor. These people, they're worshiping Jesus, but we need to worship just you. But here Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're persecuting me. You're wounding me. You're hurting me. And in that moment, Jesus gave Saul a commission, a command, a calling for his life. His life had new purpose. It had new meaning because he just didn't meet someone. He met the one on the road to Damascus. And in that moment, he was told that, hey, you are going to open the eyes of the blind. You are going to take this gospel, this good news. You're going to share it, but not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. You're also going to take it to kings and queens. And so here's Paul. Of course he's happy. Because what was spoken in Acts 9 is coming to pass in Acts 26. And so here he has the opportunity to speak the gospel to King Agrippa, whose great-grandfather was Herod, the same Herod who executed all the baby boys of Bethlehem that were two years and younger. That's his great-grandfather. That's his lineage. And here is Agrippa. He's listening. Bernice and Festus, they're listening to Saul. And Saul, with a shaky voice, begins to tell them how his life was completely changed. And at first, where the crowd was mocking and jeering, they slowly began to quiet down and began to lean in and they began to listen. To really listen. how he traveled. He recounted about the people he had told about Jesus. And he recounted how people had received forgiveness of sins and how they had power over Satan from God, how they had turned from darkness to light and how their eyes were open to see the truth. And then in verse 27, that's when Paul asked a question. He says to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. The saddest words are the words almost. I almost won. I almost got the girl. I almost got the job. I almost got the promotion. I almost made it. They almost lived. It's the saddest word. King Agrippa said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. To be almost saved is still to be totally lost. And here is King Agrippa thinking that maybe by telling Paul, that I was almost saved, that maybe that'll make him feel better. Like, hey, you did a good job. I mean, it almost worked. I almost converted. But the word almost, what it means is little distance. That there was just a little distance between Agrippa and Christianity. Agrippa and receiving the truth. There was just a small space. 
You see, almost lives in the space between possibility and disappointment. That's where almost lives. This past week, I took my family. They had kids at spring break, so we decided let's go have some family fun night on Thursday. So at first we said, oh, let's go bowling. Bowling's really expensive nowadays. So we didn't go bowling. I said, hey, let's go to round one. They have bowling over there, plus they've got arcades. Well, there was a wait list for the bowling alley, but then while we were waiting, my kids, I've got three kids and then my wife, we were there and Kane and I, my youngest, he's five, we would play your normal arcade games where you get tickets. Now you don't get tickets, you get credits on your card. Totally not the same. It's not as fun. I'm used to getting tickets, real paper, but needless to say. So we were playing games where we could win points and tickets. We wanted to go buy something uh, in their gift shop. But Jane, my wife, and my other two kids, I think they have a little bit of an addiction problem. Because they have these machines. I don't know if you've seen them. Inside is a bunch of stuffed animals. And you can access these stuffed animals if you can only get the claw to drop down and grab it. And I would watch as Austin and Megan and yes, my own wife lose their minds as they were trying to win these little stuffed animals that I said, we can literally go to the store at Target right here and we can get it far cheaper than we're paying to get it. And then I would just watch Austin. He would so intent, you know, he would even position it right, move to the side, see if he's got it lined up. The whole thing's rigged. But that's, I expect that out of my kids. But not Jane. She's logical. She's calm. She's cool. She's collected. But I think she's got a gambling addiction. It came out. Man, she would drop the button. The claw would go down. And then she would get all excited. I love seeing the look of just like possibility in her eyes. Because I know in a second that's all going to change. And then the claw's lifted it up. And you just see her eyes get big. And then the claw does that. And of course it drops. I said, it's rigged. And then she said this. I almost got it. I said, you've been saying that $35 ago. Like, I'm out of money here. Like, when are you going to realize almost means nothing? Almost means nothing. I was almost a Christian. Doesn't matter. You're not a Christian. You're not going to get up to heaven and say to the Lord, hey, uh, uh, Paul almost persuaded me. And God's going to be like, well, yeah, sure, I'll let you in. No. There's no almost. There's no almost famous. There's no I was almost rich. There's no I almost made it. There, you didn't, though. You see, a lot of us think that I'm sincere, so that'll get me there. If I'm just sincere enough. You've seen the video clip. The man catches the football. He'd never really got to play much, and it's the end of the season. So they put him in. He plays. He jumps. He makes this catch, this catch, uh, incredible catch. And now he's running to the end zone. Except the only problem is he's noticing nobody's stopping him. Like, typically, the opposing team would try to stop you. But something odd was happening. The opposing team was stopping his own teammates. And he was thinking, that's odd as he's running. And, man, he gets to the end zone, spikes the ball. Yeah! And then the opposing team runs up and congratulates him. That's odd. I thought football worked differently. I said, thanks. You caught the football and you got it to our end zone. But he was sincere the entire time he was running with that football. 
There's a lot of sincere people who think, oh, I'm sincere. You're sincere on your way to a Christless eternity. And yet we've got to step back and say almost doesn't mean anything. What does almost get you? It gets you the same thing it got Jane, Megan, and Austin. Nothing. Actually, they owe me $35. That's what it got them. Debt. And yet we have so many people that they are living that life. You see, Agrippa doesn't understand that almost was actually an admission that it almost worked. It's an admission that Paul had clearly communicated that Agrippa had come close but it was also an admission that he had condemned himself. Agrippa has nobody else to blame but himself for not choosing life, for not choosing the power of Jesus over the power of Satan. He has no one to blame but himself for blind eyes because he even said, I came close. And I think sometimes we come to church and we're like, I'm coming close, but that's almost. Almost is not enough. You see, you cannot be almost anything. You cannot almost be a Christian. You are either are or you are not a Christian. Because pretending to be saved doesn't make hell less hot. And yet sometimes we just think that if I just kind of believe enough, and that's not it. You see, the saddest words were when King Agrippa said, "Ah, you almost persuaded me. You see, sometimes we feel that way too. We're telling people about Jesus and they're like, oh, I almost persuaded my family member. I almost persuaded my loved one. They almost accepted it. They almost believed. But you know, in this passage, Agrippa's not the only one that's really dealing with disappointment. You know who has the greatest disappointment in this passage? It's Paul. You say, why does Paul have the greatest disappointment? Let's read it. Notice if you would, verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. You see, Paul understood something. You see, Paul realized that almost is not good enough. That almost done is not done. You ever eaten a half uh, half baked pancake? Somebody went and took me to this uh, breakfast place down off the Cruiser Road in uh, Blossom Hill. I forgot the name of it, and I don't want to share the name because I don't want you to go eat there. Because the food came out basically half raw, and there's nothing worse. But I was around some uh, people from the church that were paying, and so you know somebody else is paying. You don't want to be rude and be like, "This is uncooked." You just eat it. That's the way I grew up. You just eat it. You don't say anything. You just eat it. The eggs were basically raw. The French toast, they didn't cook the egg on it. So everything's just raw. And I was like, man, this is probably the worst meal. And they love this place. They've been going here, they said, for years. I was like, well, you need to try a new place. This place is awful. There's nothing worse than something that was almost, almost there. It was half done. It wasn't completely done. Our kids get that. You'll tell them to clean the room. They almost cleaned the entire room. Well, I made my bed. Doesn't that count? No, I said, clean your room. You almost did it, but almost done is not done. You see, the Apostle Paul could not accept that King Agrippa almost became a Christian because his whole life is that everybody he meets becomes a Christian. That's his life. That's what he's lived. That's what he left everything for. He had a great life. He was respected. He had prestige. He had influence. He had power. He had everything you would want in that day and age. Paul had it. And he gave it all up. 
As a matter of fact, he even uses really amazing language. He says, I count it but dung. All of it. I mean, think about that. That he looked back on everything he had accomplished and said, hey, yeah, that's manure. All of it. That's incredible. Because Paul realized there was something of greater value. Paul could not accept that Agrippa had come close to conversion. Paul almost saw Agrippa converted. And then, oh, that just didn't sit well with him. You see, for Paul, his disappointment was worse than Agrippa. You say, why was Paul's disappointment worse? Because Paul knew what Agrippa was going to miss out on. As Christians, we know what everyone else is going to miss out on. In January, I was supposed to go on a cruise, a Disney cruise. It was really cool. Jane had been planning it for years. Uh, She bought the cruise way before the pandemic in 2019, which pandemic time is crazy how it just... Everything just seems like what happened to two years of our life. But then in January, we were supposed to finally go on the cruise. Something had happened during that week. The county of Santa Clara County had told, you can't come back to school unless you have a negative COVID test. So when we get there, the whole system, everybody in the Bay Area, they were inundated with everybody testing. Our family went in, we got in line, did the little test and everything, you know, where they tickle your brain and all that good stuff. And we did that. And they said, Disney said, hey, you got to do it three days before you get on the cruise. And then when you get to the cruise, you're going to get another test. Me and the family, the in-laws, rent the car, fly to Florida. You land, you get the hotel, you go there. Everyone's excited, you know. We're, we're waiting. we got a couple hours before we can get on the cruise ship. So you're just waiting. Have a nice little breakfast, you know. It's really nice. You're just waiting. And then you, when they tell you it's time, they'll text you because they didn't want overcrowding so you get a text message say okay you could park you could pull up and your group can board the ship only one problem one person out of our group their COVID test hadn't come back yet Kaiser had gotten everybody's COVID test but my son Austin's so we had the little app and you keep refreshing I started calling all of my Kaiser contacts and then they told me, they said, hey, we're so inundated. We've sent it out to a lab in Hayward. And I said, oh, man, give me the number for that lab. Maybe I can call somebody over there to find out. And then we're there. And then Disney's going to do a test as well. So we're like, well, hey, let's just do the Disney test. And then it shouldn't be a problem. We do the Disney test. Austin's negative. I was like, ah, we're good. They said, sorry, you can't get on the ship because you don't have your Kaiser negative COVID test. I said, wait, he sees the ship. We see it right there. Come on, let's put you in a suitcase. I'll zip it up and we'll just, we'll get you on this thing, man. We will do this right. No. So I told Jane and the kids, I said, you know what? You and your folks, you just get on the ship. We'll wait here. They said, hey, the ship won't leave till five o'clock. It's one o'clock. You can just wait in the parking lot. I said, you guys get on the ship. We'll just wait here. Sure enough. Five o'clock came, ship sailed. Jane calls me on FaceTime because she bought internet on the thing. And she's just in tears, you know, your son's not there. I felt hurt because she didn't think her missing her husband was a big deal, but her son, that was a big deal. I was like, what? That's Jane for you. I love her. God bless her. But you know, the whole time we would call each other every couple of days, just check in, and she was just miserable. I said, honey, why are you miserable? She said, because... Look at this place. Look at the food. Look at the characters. Look at the water slide. Look at all the fun stuff. And I can't enjoy any of it. 
because you're missing out. She said, I know what you're missing. I wish I didn't know what you were missing. If I didn't know what you were missing, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But I know what you're missing out on. That's why it hurts so much. And as Christians, we know what people that don't have Jesus, we know what they're missing. We know that they're missing peace that conquers depression. We know that they're missing joy that's outside of anything that this drug or this world could offer. We have a peace that God gives. We have a joy. We have a happiness. We have a purpose that outlasts anything else you can find. And so we understand what it's like to not be a Christian because we remember before we had Jesus we remember how we would need those drugs we would need those substances we would need those relationships we would need the ego boost in our career we would need to drive certain things dress a certain way live in a certain place have our kids in a certain school we needed those for our validation but then we met Jesus and Jesus became enough so to meet somebody who said almost made it breaks our heart because we know what they're missing out on but how do you convince somebody that they should really want what they've never seen <laughs> I can't tell you the first time my wife's Filipino and I came over and they were like hey you're really going to love this chocolate meat stuff I was like oh chocolate meat that sounds amazing it's chocolate and it's meat this is great this is like paradise they lied they totally lied chocolate meat is basically uh, meat cooked in pork's blood okay and when you cook the pork's blood it looks like chocolate Hershey syrup poured on meat it's vile it's disgusting all right uh so I was a little bit jaded to any dish Jane would try to feed me just for a minute I was a little bit jaded uh I was the weird dude that rice came from a box and you put butter and salt on it I was that weird guy I'm sorry if I offended you that I do that I don't do it anymore my wife won't let me she beats me uh so but at the time that's what I thought was normal started trying some of the other Filipino dishes. Oh, man, I was missing out. You see, as Christians, we know what people are missing out on, and that's what Paul wanted for them. Paul knew that Jesus was everything, and Paul wanted them to have that life because Paul had seen a different life. Paul was compelled by his calling because Paul realized that, hey, Acts 9, this is my purpose. I'm supposed to witness to kings. And for Paul, they're not getting saved. This is like, the worst thing in Paul's life. Maybe for you, life is similar. You had your life planned down. You had everything scheduled the way it was supposed to be. And you live in a moment where you're like, man, we almost made it as a relationship. My career almost took off. I almost made it. My life almost was somewhere else. And you're stuck in this place where Paul was. What do we do with the almost? Because the almost sits in between possibility and disappointment. That's where almost sits. And that's an uncomfortable place to sit where there was possibility that the marriage could make it. But the disappointment was it didn't. The possibility we might have children. We never had kids. Possibility, disappointment, and in between is almost The possibility of I might get that job, I didn't. The possibility of I might end up with that person, we didn't. The possibility of this may happen, I may get the negative test and I may not have cancer, but disappointment, I do have it. What do I do with that almost? What do I do with that tension? Because now we live in the middle of that tension. 
And we don't know how to handle that tension of saying, what happens here? How do we deal with this? Do, are we just supposed to take it? I mean, our life was supposed to look, turn out a different way. And now it's not. And I'm supposed to be just honky-dory, happy about it? What do I do with this? The scripture answers. Notice the word, verse number 30. It says, and when he had said these things, the king stood as well as the governor and Bernice, those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You know what he just said? Paul was almost freed. That's what he was saying. He was saying, Paul, your life was about to almost change. Here he came bound in chains. And then on the side, they said, man, if he hadn't have just spoken up, if he hadn't have done that, that, that's what happened. So here's the tough thing we got to learn. How do I learn to be all right with almost? How do I sit there with that? How do I really be able to say, I'm all right with the almost. I'm all right that I almost made it. I'm all right that our relationship almost worked out. I'm all right that we almost got that deal done. I'm all right that we almost found the cure. How do we as Christians deal with that? Because in this passage, it actually speaks volumes to us. You see, Paul is then sent to Rome, but on the way, he takes a ship. The ship encounters a storm and then shipwrecks on an island. The island is called Malta. And if you were to visit Malta to this day, you will find remnants of churches that Paul was really the catalyst for why those churches exist. And they would not have existed if Paul had not been sent to Rome. Books of the Bible would not have been written if he had not been sent to Rome. We love the book of Philippians that was written in a jail cell to the church at Philippi. It was written, the entire book, the book that we find hope and encouragement. The book that when we would play sports, we'd put Philippians 4.13, through Christ I can do all things, and then we almost win. But that's okay, we had the verse. You see, in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says this, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I have to be content. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm all right with almost. I'm all right with it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. I'm all right with it. You see, life may not be where you thought it would be at this point. But as a believer, we have Christ within us so that we are able to say, I'm all right with the almost. You see, for Paul, he understood something that we need to understand. You see, Paul said, I'm going to do everything I can to preach Jesus to Agrippa, to Pernice, the governors, and to Festus. I'm going to do everything I can. But then at the end of the day, I can't change somebody's life. Last Sunday, we had over 400 people at both of our services. And we preached, and we preached, and we loved, and we cared, and we talked to people. But you know what? Not everybody gave their life to Christ. Many did, but not all of them. And our work is not done here in San Jose. We want San Jose to be a hard place to go to hell from. So our mission is still the same. But not everybody received Christ. And what do we do? How do we live with that tension? We understand this truth. That outcome is God's. That's his responsibility. Obedience is mine. 
I am responsible for my obedience. God is responsible for the outcome. So let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make the mess best of this mess and maybe that's what you need to tell yourself do the best with this mess this mess of life whatever's going on whatever i've got i'm gonna do the very best that i can with it because this is what it is this is what god's given me and so i'm all right with the almost now understand paul didn't then okay it's not worth it. he didn't get jaded no paul just said okay i continue on You see, Agrippa not getting saved didn't derail Paul's destiny. Paul still had two and a half years of ministry from house arrest in Rome. He still preached, he still wrote, he still went on. He just found a way to be all right with almost. How many of us, when we find ourselves in an almost season, where things almost worked out, we let it destroy us. We let it take us out. We don't call anybody. We just get stuck in our dysfunction. You know, the new normal for many people is stuck. Everybody talks about the new normal. We've got to get used to the new normal. For many people, the new normal is stuck. They don't get with their friends anymore. They don't get out and go to church anymore. They're not in their word anymore. They don't pray anymore. That's the new normal. The new normal is stuck. They're stuck in a mindset. They're stuck in a way of doing things. And God has so much more for us if we will say, God, I'm not going to get stuck in an almost I want to see that God is still good. I want to see him working. I've learned that unwanted pain always leads me to unexpected gain. Unwanted pain always leads me to unexpected gain. Life has painful moments. Life has things that are difficult. But in those moments, I trust God that it's going to work. I don't know how. I don't know when. But it is. Because God's world and God's work aren't going to stop. Life is sometimes wild, but it's also wonderful. And God has a way of working it all out for our good and his glory. Recently, my wife and I, we sold our home. We wanted to see the vision of the church getting a building and buying property. And so we wanted to sell it at the height of the market. God had blessed us with it. So we sold it, gave it, gave it up. And five weeks ago, literally just five weeks ago, not that long ago, we still didn't have a place to rent. Just five weeks ago. But then we needed to be out of our house with just two weeks left. We had sold the house. We did two months of rent back. And we figured two months would be plenty of time to find a rental. And we couldn't find. We would put in applications. We would do tours. You, you've done it. It's, it's all kinds of complicated. I made the mistake of bringing my three kids whenever I go to our house. And they just see a house and they were like, yes, what can we destroy? This is great. So I stopped bringing my kids. Jane stopped bringing me. She just went by herself. But then two, just a few, three weeks ago, uh, we were like, man, what are we going to do? We don't have a place. And so it was kind of the Hail Mary. We were staying up late on a Sunday evening, and I said, honey, we just need to get on Zillow and Trulia, and we're just going to put in application after application on anything. It doesn't even matter. We're just going to start just putting in applications. We saw one house, and we were like, it's been on the market 67 days. That's weird. Most houses don't stay on the market more than a few days right now in this crazy market. Well, come to find out, the house was out of our budget, but I said, hey, we're, we're getting forced out. Let's go ahead and just apply. And the next day, we were able to do a tour. Within 12 hours, we were able to do a walkthrough and a tour. So we show up the next day and we're doing the tour. And I, I talked to the property manager and I, I said, hey, is this the price? And he said, oh, no, 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 we dropped the price last night. I said, what are you talking about? Drop the price. He's like, oh, praise God, that's awesome. He said, I think this house is meant for you. His words, not mine. 
So we go, okay, all right, we'll fill out the application. We'll see what God does. And sure enough, we got the house. And I just thought, man, that's, that's cool. God, you're, you're good. That's, that's really neat how God just kind of works out, right? And I thought that's all there is to the story. But God's goodness is never just one dimension. It's never just that one way. God has layers to his goodness. We have a few things that needed to be worked on the house. The best thing about renting is the honeydew list, I'm not responsible for it. My wife is, no, I'm just kidding. Property manager is responsible for it. So we call a property manager. We say, hey, there's a couple things. The doors don't lock and things like that. So the property manager sends his handyman over. His name's Terry. Terry knocks on my door. This is Friday. Terry knocks on my door. And Terry comes in. He said, hey, your doors aren't locked. And I said, yeah, they got these weird French doors. The, the, the locking pin doesn't lock. And he said, well, did you try the handle on the left to lock it? Because there's no key lock or anything like that. you got to pull up on the handle. locks it. Terry. Of course. <laughs> of course I tried. He was already in my house. What am I going to say? No, I never tried that. I, I never tried it. And he said, but that's what the instructions say on the side of the door. I said, my roots are blonde. I, I don't know what else to say. You know, um, I, I'm sorry. User error. And then after that, Terry and I, we just kind of laughed. And he said, Steve is so happy you're in this house. I said, who's Steve? Oh, the owner of the property management company, Steve. I said, I've never met him. We just did it all via email and everything. And he said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Steve called me and said, hey, there, there's a pastor we're going to get in 759 out of He said, no, 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 a pastor can't afford that. And then Steve said to Terry, no, 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 we've worked it all out. We made it so he can afford it. You see, in the 12 hours from when I applied to when they, they dropped the price on a four-bedroom, and nobody drops the price on a four-bedroom. But then they go on and say, oh, yeah, Steve's a great Christian guy, and he loves the fact that you're a pastor that's renting one of his homes, and he wants you here. See, God has a way of having another dimension to his goodness that you don't see, and as you go through it and you trust him, there's the other side of his goodness where you just say, wow, God, you are good. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have seen that. And Paul got to see another dimension of his goodness, of God's goodness. You see, this life, if we continue down it, I know there's unwanted pain, but there's always the unexpected gain of what God is doing. And if we will just trust God, and the best thing that Paul, even that Agrippa said, hey, I almost became a Christian, Paul still lived the utmost Christian life, meaning all out. He didn't hold anything back. And what for some of us can happen this morning is that when we are in a season where it's just almost is happening, like, which means nothing's really happening. We're just in a holding pattern. It's really easy to pull back on God, and God's not. Live utmost. Live all out. Don't hold anything back. Go all in. God's working. And as you're waiting, God is saying, I'm going to bring these things here and be able to see it. David said this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the I'm going to invite the worship team back on the platform. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare to close? You see, Paul got to the point where he could say, I'm all right with almost. I'm all right with it. It's not great. It's not ideal. But that space between possibility and disappointment, he said, I'm all right with it. It's not where I would love to be, but it's where I am. Where you're at right now may not be where you love to be, but it's where we are. 
and we trust God and we say, God, I'm going to trust you in this season. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a place you never thought you'd be. You thought your life would be in a better place or a different place. And yet here's where you are and you're struggling with it. You're struggling to have peace. You're experiencing anxiety, depression. You're experiencing guilt. All these things, all these emotions are coming on you. You don't know what to do with it. And you made your way to church this morning. And you say, you know, I just need some prayer. I just need somebody to pray with me. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, yeah, that's my, my need right now. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. I see hands in every section. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you may put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, you are so good. Your kindness is so real. But God, right now, there are needs represented in this room. God, there are people that are going through things that they don't know if there's an end. They don't know if they're in the middle, the beginning. And they just feel like life is almost, which is in a way of saying they feel like they're not making it. And so God, would you help them this morning? Lord, I don't know the needs. I don't know what's going on. But God, we know that you know. And Father, I pray that you would help us to learn to say that we're all right with the almost. We're all right with this uncomfortable feeling. We can't change it. But God, give us a spirit that Paul had. That he wanted others to just know you. Because then they would know the power to overcome it. And so Father, we need you. We pray for your help and your strength for these people. Thank you for your goodness and your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to sing a worship song, but this morning we're also celebrating baptism. And if you say, you know what, I, I need to take that step and I need to be baptized. While we sing and worship, if you'd like to slip out, you say, I didn't really come prepared for baptism. But you say, hey, I want to slip out and I, I, I need to get baptized. We have everything ready to go. We've got shorts, t-shirts, everything you need. In our church, we use the hot tub on the side. So if you say, I need to get baptized today, then you can slip out right now and see Pastor Misal in the back. He'll get you all set up to be baptized. We're going to worship together. And if you say, yeah, I, that today's the day I need to get baptized, then you go ahead and slip out. But right now, let's sing and worship together. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.